Good morning. What a wonderful thing to do, to welcome the Holy Spirit here every single time we gather together. Praise the Lord. And of course, he is dwelling in each of you, and I can always see it. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come together as your body in this place today. The beautiful mountains staring back at us, the gorgeous Tucson sky, the, um, the fabulous rain that came last night as a gift from you. We have such blessings in our lives, Lord. And we come here together and are just blessed and thankful that we have a family to gather with, to praise your name, to bring you glory and honor with our lives. And Lord, as, as the world seems to be in so much turmoil, um, we know that our hope is in you, Lord, and we look to you and we wait for you, just like it says here, to hang on and wait for you are going to show up one of these days and we will be ready for you. And we praise you and thank you. We ask you to be in our service today to fill Pastor Frank with your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. I had an opportunity in a, whatever you want to call it, an encounter. Um, I had a gentleman at my sale. He said that his daughter was killed in Reddington Pass, I don't know how many years ago. And he, he looks for angel. And we had an angel at the sale that wasn't priced. And he was carrying it around during the whole sale. And he told me a story and he says, you're meant to have it. So it's that act of kindness that spoke to his heart and a gentle kindness. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kindly to everyone. Jesus was a gentle and compassionate person. When he came into the world, there were few hospitals, few places of refuge for the poor, few homes for the orphans, there were no hospitals to treat the mentally ill, no shelters for the homeless. In comparison to today, it was a cruel world. Christ changed all that. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and opened, to the, opened the eyes of the blind. He commanded his disciples, love your neighbor as yourself, and taught them to observe what we come to call the golden rule. And everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. Whatever true Christianity has gone, his followers have performed acts of kindness, love, and gentleness. Do others see Christ's gentleness and compassion in you? The hope for today. God's people are to be kind to everyone. That neighbor who doesn't keep up his yard like you hope he would that co-worker that doesn't seem to see things as you do? Who needs to see kindness in you today? Great and mighty is the Lord our God. Great and mighty is He. Great and mighty is the Lord our God. Praises to 
We'll read this morning from Isaiah 5, 6 through 12. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. I can't wait. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Whosoever heareth shout, shout the sound, spread the blessed tidings all the world around, spread the joyful news wherever man is found, whosoever will Proclamation over Vale and Hill, tis the Holy Father 
our New Testament reading today is from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 19. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with the empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of the world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to, to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a sp spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels saying that they have visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. Will you please join me in the responsive reading? God of power and justice, like Jeremiah you weep, over those who wander from you, Turn aside to other gods and enter into chaos and destruction. Your tears through your mercy. Teach us your ways and write them on our hearts so that we may follow faithfully the path you show us. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we look out. We now have a new instrument the James Webb Telescope, and we can see farther into the universe than we've ever seen before. But we can see the magnificent planning that you have made and appreciate it even more, that all, knowing that you spoke all things into being. Lord, and we thank you for our little piece of it. 
And we know that you call on us to give back, to share, to spread your word, to share, to share the gifts that you've given us. So we ask that the, the gifts that we give today may be pleasing in your sight and that we are given the wisdom to, spend, to use them as you would have that be. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Want to rise to the doxology? Well, this morning, um, I'd like to continue on our series started some time ago. Um, good to be back with you again. I missed all of you. Um, and we're, we're going through the um, letters to the seven churches. And we're in chapter three now, Revelation. You read this. To the angel of the church in Sardis write... These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds, you have a reputation of being dead, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. I have not found deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life and will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. But Sardis um, had a unique geography um, among the seven churches. And you can see the, uh, the sheer cliffs there and it, the original city of Sardis was was set way up on top of this hill. The next slide. Um, you can kind of see it in there. Next one. Um, yeah, and so it was about 1,500 feet above the uh, the you know the the floor, and it had sheer cliffs on three sides, and the fourth side was was a, also a difficult way to to get to it. Um, and so it was, you know, had a, a wonderful history, and it was, Sardis was the capital of the Lydian Empire, and that lasted from 1200 B.C. to 546 B.C. when Cyrus the Great uh, captured uh, Sardis, and it encompassed all of Anatolia at one time. Next slide. Whoops. Okay. You can kind of see this is this is a picture of, you know, an, an artist's reconstruction of what Sardis was. It was a great city, very wealthy. Next slide. And then next slide. Okay, so you can see here the kingdom of Lydia. 
and it, um, it went all the way into uh, the Babylonian Empire, the Median Empire, uh, but you, we don't hear too much about the kingdom of Lydia, but it was, a, it was a great kingdom at one time, and Sardis was the capital. And because of that, there were lots of, uh, you know, lots of attacks against it, and most of the time they would uh, be able to tell uh, those attacks. And Sars is said to be the great, the wealthy, the impregnable city against which none could strive and prevail. And so it had a history of, because of its geography, it had a history that, that nobody could conquer it. Um, in AD 17, there was a catastrophic earthquake, and then it was rebuilt with a million-dollar grant from Emperor Tiberius. So a million dollars, a lot of money at that time, you know. And, uh, and it was at Sardis that gold and silver coins were first used. And it was called the Lydian Staters. It was the first coins in the world. So Sardis was one of the great cities of the ancient world. It's incredible wealth and so on. And the richest of the Sardian kings was Croesus. And with him the city grew to its zenith, and Solon, the wisest of the Greeks, came on a visit to Sardis. And he was shown the wealth, the splendor, the magnificence, and the luxury of Sardis. But he also saw a blind confidence that, that they believed that they were impregnable. They could not be conquered. And he saw the seeds of softness, of flabbiness, and of inevitable degeneration. And what he saw was the confidence in their own resources. And then he uttered this famous saying, call no man happy until he is dead. He knew that Sardis was bound for degeneration. In the patron deity um, of Sardis was the goddess Cybele, whose son Midas was the wealthy king of Phrygia. When Midas treated the schoolmaster Silensis well, uh, when he got lost and ended up in Phrygia, um, for his hospitality to the sat satyr Silenus, Dionysus, the god of wine, offered to grant Midas anything he wished. That you can have anything, because he was so kind. And the king requested that everything he touched be turned to gold. Where did, what, what expression do we have? The, touch, the Midas touch, okay? The Midas touch is that uh, everything that Midas touched would turn to gold. Well, it didn't work out real well, because he couldn't eat. <laughs> Every time he tried to eat, uh, the food and drink would turn to gold. And his daughter met him at one point, and he touched her, and she turned to gold. So, I mean, this is, this is the legend, okay? <clears throat> so, to free himself from the enchantment, Midas was instructed by Dionysus to bathe in the Pactolus River. And so it is said that afterward, the sands of the river contained gold, okay? So that, but that's where we get that, that expression, the Midas touch. So Croesus went to war with Cyrus, king of Persia. 
Again, Solom warned him that this is going to be a disaster. Um, he consulted the famous, and, and, and so Croesus didn't like what he said, so he went to uh, consulted the famous oracle at Delphi, and he was told, if you cross the river Halles, you will destroy a great empire. So he said, good, I'm going to destroy this, this, uh, this, <clears throat> this empire. Well, he thought that it meant he would destroy the Persian Empire. But what he really meant was that he would destroy his empire. And so Cyrus pursued him to Sardis. Cyrus besieged the city for 14 days. Then he offered a reward to anyone who would find an entry into Sardis. Okay? Turn the next slide. I think we've got... Okay. Um, yeah. So this is 546 B.C., <coughs> and what happened was um, Cyrus offered a reward and said, we've got to get into Sardis, and so one of the soldiers, uh, a man named Herodes, had seen a Sardian soldier drop his helmet over one of the precipices. Okay, remember, three sides, it's, it's sheer cliffs. And they said it's impregnable. Nobody can possibly, um, you know, attack us from those three sides. So all they really needed to do was to defend one side. Well, this Sardian soldier dropped his helmet and scampered down the, the cliff and fetched his helmet, got back up, and this, this, uh, this soldier from the Persian soldier saw this and said, aha, it's not impregnable. Uh, we can take it. So at night, took some soldiers with him, and they scaled up the same place that the soldier had been and got into the city. And here's the thing, that it was totally unprotected. They, they said nobody can possibly get up these, these cliffs, and so they didn't protect them at all. And so, uh, they, you know, they got into, the, uh, got into Sardis and then opened the gates, and Sardis was captured by Cyrus. Well, when Cyrus the Persian had conquered Sardis, he ordered that the people would teach their sons lyre playing. Okay? Uh, the, the lyre, the, the instrument. And, and song and dance. And he understood that they had a problem with being flabby and, and totally uh, undisciplined. And so they taught them song and dance, and because of their flabbiness, um, they, you know, they lost their military might. So Sardis vanished from his, history, the Persian rule, for two centuries. In due time, it surrendered to Alexander the Great and through him became a city of Greek culture. After the death of Alexander the Great, there were rivals who fought to gain the Greek Empire. One of them was Antiochus. He fought Archaeus, who sought refuge in the impregnable Sardis. For a year, the siege went on, but finally, a soldier named Lagoras <coughs> repeated, the, you know, went back to history and realized how it had fallen before and repeated that, and behold, Sardis was attacked again and conquered again. So the people in Sardis didn't learn from history. Eventually, the city had to relocate into the, into the valley, okay, 
and lost its greatness. Time of the writing of the seven letters to the seven churches, Sardis had no future. It couldn't survive in a more civilized age. And the word Sardis in the Greek was a plural noun, indicating there were two cities, one on the citadel and one in the plain below. And so if you go today, which we, we have been there, to see the ruins, um, we didn't even get to go up to the citadel, but there was a huge city in the, in the plain. And this is, um, yeah, you can see the Temple of Artemis. The picture before that was the uh, gymnasium, quite a famous gymnasium. Next slide. Uh, this is a good picture of the, of the gymnasium. And on the left there, uh, they're reconstructing the synagogue. So one commentator said this, no city in the whole province of Asia had a more splendid history in past ages than Sardis. No city of Asia, Asia at that time showed such melancholy contrast between past splendor and present decay as Sardis. So here they were, a great city, a wealthy city, you know, had, had all kinds of, uh, 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 of things said about it and how great it was, and yet their present history by the time the seven churches came around was the exact opposite. They went from greatness to total decline. Smyrna was dead and yet lives. Sardis lived and yet was dead, as it says in the letters to the seven churches. So the city was alive once, but in the New Testament era, it was mostly dead. Okay? Um, and so the church reflected the same fate as the city. The city had been great at one time and had fallen. The church had been great at one time, but had fallen into flabbiness. So the, the, you know, what we can say about the church in Sardis was that it was mostly dead. It was spiritually dead. And so Jesus says it, it, it evidences spiritual lethargy, spiritual death. Lethargy, um, according to the uh, Webster's Dictionary, is the quality or the state of being lazy, sluggish, or indifferent. And that's exactly where they were. How does spiritual deadness happen? In just a little bit of time. Nobody, you know, starts out, no church starts out, no culture starts out saying we're going to be spiritually dead. But, you know, I, I, here's what I aspire to. I aspire to be totally dead. You know? No, we don't. But over time, gradually, then through a lack of rain, lack of nu nutrients, through neglect, and so on, um, there is deadness which sets in. And there's a lot that can be deduced from what happened. First thing, they were untroubled by heresy. Well, if you're spiritually dead, you're not going to deal with heresy because... Uh, you don't know enough to, you know, to, to actually be heretical, and, even though it can come. And secondly, they were untroubled by any attack from the outside. Who wants to attack a spiritually dead church? The, the enemy does not attack, the devil does not attack a spiritually dead church. There's no threat. The greatest compliment that can be received is when we are being persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
Only when we're spiritually a threat does Satan us. A truly vital church will always be under attack. The worst commendation we can have in a church is that everybody thinks we're wonderful. Because if we're doing what God tells us to do, we're going to be a threat to the enemy. Okay? So here's some symptoms of spiritual death. First, is there's no spiritual... And by the way, I'm not talking about this church, so don't, don't, be, don't be thinking, okay, here he goes. <laughs> this is vacation, now look at him. <laughs> that's, not, that's not going, okay? But there's symptoms of spiritual death. First thing is there's no standing. 1 Corinthians 2.13 and following. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So one of the things that happens when we are dying spiritually is that we don't have spiritual understanding. Second thing, we lack spiritual desires. The dead have no desire to seek the Lord. Matthew 5 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There's no spiritual strength with the spiritual dead. Psalm 37, If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. So in those who are spiritually dead, there's no spiritual strength to keep them going. And lastly, the dead soul has no capacity for spiritual enjoyment. They don't enjoy the things of God. A fool finds pleasure in evil, but a man of understanding in wisdom. Now the good news in Sardis was that there were those who were still had some measure of life in them. Verse 2, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Okay? So there was a little bit of spiritual strength still left to build upon. Verse 4, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. But they were mostly dead. How many of you have seen The Prince of Bride? I love that. I love that where he says, "No, he's not totally dead. He's just mostly dead." <laughs> and that's the way that Sardis was. They were mostly dead, but not totally dead. So, the angel to the or Jesus says to the church in Sardis, he gives them four admonitions. First of all, is wake up. All right, when we're spiritually dead, we need to wake up. Smell the roses, you know, take, and, and uh, realize that and, and strengthen that which remains. Because the city, the church in Sardis um, is like the city, had twice been lost because of a lack of watchfulness. The city of Sardis twice had fallen, had been taken over by foreign invaders because of a lack of watchfulness. They said, we're, we're, we're fine, we're protected, and they didn't even put troops up, not even a watchman up, to watch if anybody came up the precipice. Well, the same kind of thing uh, in the church. They needed to wake up. Both were led due to a lack of 
diligence and watchfulness and an overconfidence in their position. And that's what was happening in the church as well, was that they were overconfident in their righteousness, in, their, in what they had. The church with the least threat to the devil is a dead church, as I mentioned. Satan has nothing to fight against. God has called us to spiritual warfare. So one of the things that we need to do as a church and as individuals is to wake up. 1 Peter 5.8, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 1 Thessalonians 5.5, you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. So one of the things that we need to do as individuals and as a church is to wake up and to be self-controlled and alert. Be constantly on the watch. Because the devil would love to destroy you and this church. And one of the most difficult things we face often is spiritual drowsiness, spiritual lethargy. Spiritual apathy. We as a culture, I believe, have become spiritually flabby and out of shape. As an American culture, I would say the church needs to wake up. Church needs to wake up. The, work, the, the American church, I believe, has gotten spiritually flabby. We're out of shape. We're not looking for, we're not doing battle with the enemy. We've joined him in a lot of ways. Both the Babylonians and the Sardians were overconfident in the ability of an army to conquer them. They had a lack of diligence and watchfulness. And we in America, I believe, have the same kind of thing. We, we, uh, we are not watching. Secondly, the admonition is to strengthen what remains and is about to die. And the word for strengthen is a word which means to make stable, strengthen, make firm. And when we do exercise, you know, what we're doing is, is, is getting our muscles used to lifting weights and so on. You know, it, it's always a... You know, <clears throat> when we do exercise, we're, it's strength training. We're doing a little bit at a time to build up. And I believe that the American church, we need to be strengthened. Uh, Ephesians 6.10 and following. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist when the breastplate of righteousness in place. So what we need to be doing then as, a, as you know, in, in the American church is that we need to strengthen what remains, strengthen those good things, encourage one another, it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, Encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you were doing. We need to be, 
We need to be doing battle against the enemy. Strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. We are, we are facing a spiritual struggle in America. And rather than give in to it, we need to stand against those forces which are coming against the church. And if we don't, and we give in to spiritual flabbiness, we are going to be attacked in areas that maybe the way, even in areas of our strength. Sardis was a city in decline, but there's no reason why the church in Sardis needed to be in decline as well. And that's where we are in America. And I have, you know, the ministry that I've had here at Desert Gardens has been to encourage you and build you up in faith. Build all of us up in faith so that we can stand against the attacks of the enemy because attacks will... I believe we're, we're facing a time in America when we're going to see increasing attacks, and we already are, against us as individuals and against the church. And the enemy is trying to bring everything he can to destroy the church. And the last thing we need is a flabby church, an undisciplined church, a church that's not watching, a church which is not strengthened. <clears throat> Next, we need to remember what we've received and heard. And the word remember is a present imperative, meaning it's a repeated action. We need to be remembering constantly what we have received, what we have heard. We need to go back to the, the, the basics and say, God, what are you doing? What do you want to do? What are you doing in the church? And build the church up. Make it strong. Remember. Hebrews 10. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourself had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. So we need to, as the, as the church of Jesus Christ, we need to remember the basics. We need to remember those things that, that God has called us to. Those basics, those basic doctrines of the Christian faith. 1 Corinthians 4.17 For this reason I am sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. So God wants us to remember the things that we've been taught. And lastly, they're to obey and repent. And the word repent is the word metanoio, and it means to change our mind and obey. Do what God has called us to do. We never stop obeying the Lord. And the word repent is an aorist impairing, meaning it's a one-time event. We turn from what we've been, and we turn toward what God wants us to be. And I believe that we as a church in America, we have become lethargic. We need to turn. We need to repent. We need to, and we need to call, be calling upon God 
for spiritual revival. It can start right here. Well, as I've said, I, to me, the greatest application of this um, teaching is the church in America. We have been lulled to sleep through the prosperity which we've had since World War II as a church in America. And we have gradually become flabbier. We've said we're impregnable. We've said that we, you know, we can't be... And the worst thing that can happen to a, to a, to a culture and therefore to a church is to just not be watching, be spiritually flabby, not be awake. <clears throat> According to a study, um, and I, I, I believe this is um, Pew, Foundation, Pew, Pew Research, 75% of Americans identified as Christians in 2011. In 2021, that number shrunk to 63%, a 12% decrease in 10 years. 10 years ago, roughly 18% of Americans were not affiliated with any religion, identifying as agnostic, atheist, or nothing in particular. That number grew to 29% in 2021, 11% increase. So we're dying out. People are not going to church. U.S. church membership was 73% in 1937. Interesting. Uh, when Gallup, this is a Gallup poll. It stayed near 70% through the year 2000, and then it began to decline to 61% in 2010 and 47% in 2020. So now, in America, there are fewer people in church on Sunday than there are people um, um, who do go to church. Did I say that right? There are fewer people in church than people that don't go to church. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we've, we've passed a threshold where the majority of Americans do not go to church on Sunday morning. They're not members of a church. And the decline in church members, membership is primarily a function of the increasing number of Americans who express no religious preference. So we got our work cut out. We've got to wake up. The good news is this. Christianity is growing in other parts of the world. And I found a study, um, and it's called Seven Encouraging Trends of Global Christianity in the Year 2022. And this comes out of uh, Gordon Conwell, where I did my master's work. Um, there's, a, there's a center for global Christianity, uh, and they record all kinds of events and so on around the world and try to figure out where, you know, where Christianity is growing, what's going on, and so on. And here's some of the seven encouraging trends. Number one, religious faith is growing faster than the irreligious. Okay? This is worldwide. Worldwide, the number of atheists is almost stagnant, while the church is growing at a 1.27% rate. Now, that's not a lot, but it is growing around the world. And it continues to grow. It's, it's, uh, by 2050, there will be about 3.33 billion Christians worldwide. Okay? That's a lot. In 1900, there were only 1 million charismatic Christians. By the year 2050, there will be one billion. So the two 
um, the evangelicals and the charismatic or Pentecostal have been growing like crazy around the world. And the growth is fastest in the global south. In the year 2000, there were 600 million African and Asian Christians. Today, there are 1.1 billion Christians in Africa and Asia. So what we have seen is in the last you know, 10, 20 years, we have seen an explosive growth in Africa and Asia of Christianity. That's encouraging. By the year 2050, they say there will be 1.3 billion Christians in Africa alone. And Christianity continues to spread out. In the year 1900, 95% of all Christians lived in a majority Christian country. Okay? So what that means is, you know, it's a, it's a country that is it's primarily a Christian country, like the United States and Great Britain and, you know, some of the countries that, were, that are known as Christian countries. 95% of all Christians lived in those kinds of countries. Probably a lot of it because of the British Empire and the spread of the British Empire and so on. In 2022, that number has fallen to 53.7%. In other words, almost half of the world now are, are populated by Christians in, in areas that are Muslim or you know, some other religion. They're, they're not, quote, Christian nations. They are actually... Um, uh, they are actually growing. So Christianity is growing in non-Christian countries. That's good news. And the percentage of non-Christians who know a Christian is climbing. In that year 1900, 54.3% of the world's population was unevangelized, what we would call unevangelists. That, that, that is, they have no access to, to the Word of God. Today that number is 28%. So it's almost in half the people who um, are in unevangelized nations. Okay? Um, they are now, they, the world is getting evangelized. People are hearing about Christ, and there, there are only a quarter of the countries now, a quarter of the places now in the world in which uh, there, is, there is no access to Christianity. And more than 90 million Bibles will be printed this year. The full Bible is now available in 704 languages. The New Testament in 2,254 languages. And Bible portions in 3,414 languages. Through, uh, you know, um, through <coughs> scriptures in use. Yeah, through a lot of different, uh, uh, you know, SIL, a bunch of them, who have targeted... Uh, Bible translation. And so now there are Bible portions in 3,400 languages plus. And this is a, a very interesting one to me. There are fewer Christians are dying for their faith. In the year from 2000 to 2000, there were 1.6 million Christian martyrs. That number is projected to be 900,000 from 2020 to 2030. So there's still a lot of people being martyred for the Christian faith, but the number is declining, praise God. All right, so what does this mean then? Uh, verse 5, 
He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life and will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. So we can be thankful that the word of God is going out and that in the United States and in, really in Europe as well, there's been a decline in Christianity. Um, and it's been going on for some time now. But the good news is that God is working in the rest of the world, in Africa and Asia and, and Latin America and, you know, so many different parts. I, you know, we've been involved a lot in the Middle East. And we've seen the Christianity growing like, you know, growing like wildfire. As I've told you before, Iran has been the fastest growing Christian nation in the world. Um, and we've seen that in a lot of the different parts of the Middle East. God is at work. So here's, here's what, um, you know, here's, here's what we know. That even though Christianity is declining in certain parts of the world, God is at work. And this, we saw the same kind of thing in Sardis. Strengthen what remains. And even though they had little strength left, God was still at work. And God was doing an incredible work in Sardis, and we don't know really what happened after this, you know, after this admonition to the seven churches, the letter to Sardis. We don't know whether it started to grow or not. I don't, I don't, have, the, I don't have the data on that. <clears throat> but we can be thankful that God is at work all over the world. And even though, you know, it, it just depends on where your vantage point. If you live in the United States, you say the church is in decline. I mean, I hear it all the time, you know, news and different articles and that kind of stuff. If you live in certain parts of the world, like in Africa and Asia, you say, oh, the church is alive and well. It's growing like crazy. So let's be encouraged that even though sometimes it doesn't look like anything is happening, God is still at work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you that we look at the church and and we go, whoa. But then we look at what you've been all over the world and, and our hearts are, are inflamed with what you're doing around the world. We praise you and we thank you for that. But Lord, we want to just pause in church. We want to pray. God, we pray for that kind of revival in the United States. Father, we're praying that where there has been, where there's been a decline in church membership and, and, a, and, an, and an increase in those who would self-identify as non-Christian. Father, we're praying and calling to you for revival in the United States of America. And we're praying for revival right here in this church in Tucson. We're praying that you will work mightily, Father. And where there, it looks like there's just a little... Father, help us to blow upon those empires, that those, em <laughs> those, those embers, and to see a great flame. We pray for that in this church. We pray for that in this part of Tucson. We pray for Tucson. We pray, Lord, you will excite your church and bring hope, growth, even back to your church. We pray in the precious name of Jesus.
sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often Father, we thank you for the message today. We thank you and we know from our lessons that we must learn to wait. You are a God outside of time, but you're always with us. You're always, your eyes are always on us. So let us recognize that things are not done in our time, but in yours. And they're always done properly when they're done in yours. So, Lord, we ask for that peace, for that kindness, for the revival, and for the, you know, we're in a live now, uh, I want it now generation, but let us want it in your time. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm. 